It's so good to be with you today on Mother's Day. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to the book of Exodus chapter 33 and 34. If you do not have a Bible, there should be a black Bible in a chair around you and we'll be joining you on page 77 of that. I grew up in a church tradition where the greeters would come and they would welcome and that greeter was usually a senior adult that we were grateful for uh, that had uh, butterscotch in their pockets as they welcomed you when you walk into church. More than likely that butterscotch was stale, but we didn't hold that against them. And when they would greet us from Sunday to Sunday, uh, they would say something to the effect of, a pretty popular phrase in many churches, it, uh, they would say, God is good, and the congregation, the con- that's you if you're unfamiliar with church speak, uh, would say, uh, all the time. And then they would say, all the time, and God is good. Just this back and forth between you. Anybody ever experienced something like that? Awesome. So, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. We believe that. We hear that so much so that I'm going to let you say it with me. Let's just practice. God is good all the time. See, I I feel if I had more oomph in my voice, it would be even better. (laughs) Well oomph it. We just created a brand new verb here at Grace Bible. Uh, God is good, but what about... Well, thank you. (laughs) However, as much as it's easy for us to say, many of us who've been around church our entire lives... Well, what about in February when everything froze and water wasn't working and we were mad at everybody? What about when we go through sickness? What about these things? We're joining together in Exodus chapter 34... We're going to pick up in verse in 33 in a moment, but I want to read over this text about who our God is that we see in Exodus 34. Look at verses um, 5, 6, and 7. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of of Moses and proclaimed the Lord the Lord is compassionate and gracious God he is slow to anger and he is abounding in faithful love and truth maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations forgiving iniquity rebellion and sin but he will not leave the guilty unpunished bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshipped. Meeting with God is unique. And it is something that we as followers of Jesus claim to have experienced. If you know who Christ is, if you've trusted in his broken body and his shed blood, you are saying that you have in essence met with God. Yet we live in a world where people are continually considering, wrestling with the idea of us claiming that our God is good, but missing the goodness of God displayed in the lives of believers. Throughout the school years, our kids, they have this booth. Uh, They go to the farmer's market with their school 
and they just set up a booth to introduce you to Foundations Preparatory Academy. We had a really good experience. They go to school two to three days a week, and, and then they do what's called satellite work on two other days. It's a really, really good place that we're really grateful for. What I'm not grateful for is they will always set this booth up across, directly across from the, um, from the SVCA, where the, the animals are. So when I stopped by a couple of weeks ago, I walk in and Hope and the crew were working the booth, but all of my smaller children were hugging puppies, just random puppies and dogs, not even puppies, older dogs, and they, they just love dogs so much. They, they are grateful for dogs. And uh, they will allow you to do things from time to time. There was a moment where a few, maybe six months ago, where they brought home a dog named Charles. That's confusing enough when you already have a son named Charlie and a father-in-law whose first name was Charles. However, it got even more confusing when I looked into the backyard and Charles, this uh, big, strong dog, was dragging my five-year-old around by his drawers. Uh, Yeah... um, we have a new friend at our house that we sent Charles back. Not my Charles, their Charles. Uh, this is a new friend. He's been with us for a couple of weeks now. I'll show you a picture of him. Hey, yeah, he's cute. His name is Coop. He's really playful. He loves snacks and kids, and he can shake hands. And we're relatively sure that he's potty trained. Uh, We're definitely sure that someone in the past was unkind to Coop. And we are fairly certain that that person was obviously a stylish, attractive, husky, middle-aged man with dark hair. Because every time I get near this dog, he grows ferocious and, and angry with me. His frustrations are tied with an experience from his past and someone, someone that reminds him of me. He has tied us together. When we use the phrase that God is good, it can set off triggers for some. The good God that we see in the Bible has been confused and misunderstood to be directly associated with people who have not been very good displays of that goodness. So when life gets hard, we begin to think about the idea of what it means for God to be good. And we have to wrestle, what has Scripture taught us? When we join in Exodus chapter 33, I'm going to have some of this on the screen just to get us together. In verses 1 through 3 of Exodus chapter 33, we see something taking place. So you look in your Bible, you listen along because it's a narrative intended for us to hear. The Lord spoke to Moses, go up from here. You and the people brought up from the land of Egypt to the land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your offspring. I will send an angel uh, ahead of you and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Websites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Termites. I'm sending all of them out. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up with you because you're a stiff-necked people. Otherwise, I might destroy you on the way. So we're looking at this good God that we see in Scripture who is compassionate that we talked about earlier. Yet when we meet with him and Moses in this passage, Moses is in the tent of meeting having a conversation with this good God because just earlier you have Aaron. If you are unfamiliar with Aaron, he is the well-spoken brother of Moses who allowed Moses to get approximately two miles down the road and up a mountain when he looked at the people and said, you know, we don't know who this God is that we worship. So what I need all of you to do is give me the jewelry that you gathered from Egypt at Cleopatra's Boutique and I'm going to melt all of that down 
And we're going to make a God that we can worship. These people were supposed to be on the way at this point in the Scriptures to the promised land. Moses had met with God and received the Ten Commandments. And when he comes down, just like Charlton Heston taught us, they were dancing around this golden cow. When Moses looked... You see that in this text that, that God seems to be a bit frustrated. And we see that in the underlying things taking place in the passage. Go up from here, you and the people you brought from the land of Egypt to the land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All of these names very much tied to the God of the Bible who has displayed himself to Moses and who has presented himself to, in the scriptures. I want you to go to the land that I promised all of your people. And I'll give it to your offspring. But God's language is unique because in verse 2, He says something that is generic. And God has not had a generic relationship with these people. At this point, He says, I will send an angel. Not my angel. Not the angel of the Lord. I'm going to make sure that you're provided for, but my presence is going to be missing. And you're going to do all of the things that I promised that you would do. You're going to get the land. You're going to set up camp. You're going to do all of this. But, he says in verse 4, or rather in verse 3, you will go up, but because they are a stiff-necked people, I'm not going to be with you. Notice this, friends. God has just said to this nation who, he is, who claim Him as their covenant God, I'm going to give you power to do everything that you've ever wanted to do, but I'm not going to be present. I'm going to give you my good things, but you will not get my goodness. And when we really begin to, to dig into scriptures and, to what, and as to what it teaches us about the nature and character of God, I wonder how many of us would look at this offering and say, that's great, I'll take it. How many of us, when we consider the nature, the character, the presence of God, would be satisfied for Him to give us all of the things that He provides, these overflows of his goodness but separate ourselves from the very good God who is giving them how many of us are satisfied with that even now how many of us are satisfied with the idea of Christian community yet we've not centered our lives around the person of Jesus which means we have a generic version of Christian community to remove Christ from that is just community how many of us would look at this text and see ourselves in the midst of it? Finding that we are people who are accepting God's good offers, but missing God. This is the people of Israel saying, I will take your goodness without God. Think of things that your mother has done for you. Think of all of the incredible things that she has done to care for you. Would you take all of those good things 
if it meant that you were voiding a real relationship with her. The goodness of God is tied to Him being good. I grew up in a world where we watered down the message of Jesus. We watered down the message of Jesus to this, that Jesus was in essence a trapdoor escape from hell. And friends, I want you to know that I believe that hell, when we see it in the scriptures, is a horrible, horrific, terrible place that no one should ever want to go, nor should they want anyone else to go. However, we are not to boil down the message of Jesus to simply being an escape route from hell. The horrors of hell, as bad as they are, pale in comparison to the goodness of God. His goodness is not the flip side of the badness that we see when we consider that. God's goodness is immense. It is overwhelming. It is overflowing. It is this thing that we should not want to miss. You know, we read through the Bible and if we have any scriptural knowledge whatsoever, we can be kind of judgy of the nation of Israel. Because whenever we read a phrase like stiff-necked, that sounds like a terrible people. Who wants to be around stiff-necked people? Why would anyone ever want to be around the stiff-necked folk? Let's avoid them altogether. But Moses, in this passage that he writes to us, that he records to us, lets us know right here in verse 4, when the people heard the bad news, they mourned and they didn't put on their jewelry. They, they, their hearts were moved toward this God. Verse 5, now the, Lord said to God, now the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites you're a stiff-necked people. If I went up with you for a single moment, I would destroy you. Well, that sounds bad. Now take off your jewelry and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites, they stripped off their jewelry from Mount Horeb onward. During this time, as we meet with this, this group of people in this passage, God is helping them to settle, settle their hearts on Him. This is one of the unique places in the Old Testament where the nation of Israel can be seen to be pursuing God. During this time, there's not a temple. They don't have what we know as the temple. They don't, even, they don't have what we call the tabernacle, which is the inside of the inside of the temple. And at this point in history, we're not sure that they're ever going to get a tabernacle. Their understanding of God is this general, we have an angel that may be with us. Yet here in the text, Moses meets with God in verse 7. Moses took a tent and he pitched it outside the camp. At a distance from the camp, he called it the tent of meeting. This is where he would meet with God. Anyone who wanted to consult the Lord would go to the tent of meeting that was outside the camp. When Moses went to the tent, all the people would stand up, each one at the door of his tent, and they would watch Moses until he entered the tent. They want to see this person who gets to be their inner sanctum representative before the God of the Bible who has shown himself to be good and delivering. I'm going to, we're going to watch and see what happens. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud went down and, and remained at the entrance to the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. As the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance to the tent, they would stand up, then bow in worship, each one at the door of his tent. This person who represents us is meeting with God, which means that we've got a little bit of hope that we would worship. Because after all, this God is good. He's shown himself to be good in delivering us. 
The Lord would speak with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. This is not, not a text message. This is not a voicemail. This is God talking to a man and a man getting to interact with him in the best way that we can understand that interaction. Then Moses would return to the camp and his assistant, the young man named Joshua, son of Nun, that's not Nun as in he didn't have a mama, that's Nun as in N-U-N, would not leave the inside of the tent. Verse 12. We see where it all comes together for Moses in this conversation about this very good God that we are invited to experience. Moses said to the Lord, Look, you've told me, lead this people up, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Throwing us back to where God has said an angel will go and you'll get all of my good things but you won't get me. You said, I know you by name and you have also found favor with me. Now if I have indeed found favor with me, teach me your ways. And I will know you so that I may find favor with you. Now consider this nation is your people. Moses puts everything on the line because he is saying, God, I don't just need this generic interaction with goodness. I need these people to have an intimate interaction with you. I need these people to meet with you. I need these people to hear from you. I need these people to know that the God who leads, guides, and provides is the one that I'm talking to in the midst of that tent. God, that's what I need them to know. That's what I need them to realize. I'm not going to settle, nor will I be satisfied for one of the other angels, even if it's a good angel. I don't want that. I want you. I want you. What do we want from God? What would we have God to give us? What would we ask God to provide for us? These people were very much like us. In that, they realized that life was hard. They realized that they were going to be going into battle with difficult people that they were trying to attain a very hard land. These people were living in the midst of a broken world and were dealing with the ramifications of that. Now, I was having a conversation with a friend the other day. We like to talk about the world being broken. The thing about broken things that we overlook when we're talking about that as Christians is broken things have ramifications. The world is broken because of sin. Because of sin. The world is broken because Adam and Eve had a very awkward interaction with a snake in Genesis chapter 3. The world is broken in every way that the world could be broken. But when a world is broken, the ramification of that is sin has stepped into our very systems. And we cannot overcome or undo our sin on on our own or in our own power. There is hope. In the face of sin, but that hope comes from somewhere else, somewhere outside. God and Moses are having this conversation. And in verse 15, he says this, If your presence does not go with me, 
Don't make us go up there. How often do we find ourselves doing what we do for the sake of doing what we do, yet ignoring the idea that the very presence of God should be with us when we do that? That can seep into aspects of our Christian lives. That can seep into the way that we may try to practically live out our faith. That could seep into the idea that we have pragmatically arranged for everything to work out the way that we think it should work out. Because if I do A, then B will happen next, and C will happen next, because that's the way the alphabet works. What takes place for us when we have lined up good Christian lives and completely omitted the God who would provide the opportunity for that to be good. Moses in this passage is interacting with God because he realizes you've not called us to be a Sam's choice people. You've called us to be your people. We are not a great value nation in the midst of every other great value nation. We're your nation. Go with me to verse six, uh, 15, 16. rather. How long will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? Not just your good angel, not just your wins, not just your victories over our opposing forces. I need my people as I lead them to know that you are with me. I and your people will be distinguished by this for all, from all the other people on the face of the earth. Moses knew that God's good surplus would not be enough. Moses knew that the lengthy list of victories was not going to satisfy the people ultimately. Because when he looked at Israel in comparison to every other land, he saw that every nation had land. What set them apart was not the land. He looked at them and saw that what made Israel different is not that they had land, they got God. And God is what set them apart as a people. Again, the text forces us to ask, am I living in a way that says I am satisfied with the surplus of God, His good things, and not the God who would give them? The Lord answered Moses, I'll do this very thing you've asked. For you have found favor with me, and I know you by name. What a unique concept that we see that God would know our name. But we look through the scriptures and we see that for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, God knows our name. Then Moses, he's feeling good. We've all felt good. Everything's going okay. Maybe you've watched your child do this. They realize that they have made good grades. They realize that they have cleaned things they were supposed to clean. They've straightened everything out. They took the trash out. So then they go in for the deal. They're going to ask for the next big thing. That's what Moses goes in for here. God, you told me I can have this stuff. Everything seems to be going my way. I need to see your glory. That's a huge word. It's a huge church word. It's a word that churches love to talk about. The glory of God. The Shekinah glory. If we boil it down, what it really means is, God, I need to see what makes you who you are. I need to see the big deal of you. 
And then something unique takes place in verse 19. Because we see that God interchanges one word for another that we would not necessarily interchange. Because when I think of glory, I think of just overwhelmed by immense light. I think of Peter and the other disciples who Jesus loved, James and John, sitting there at the transfiguration. I think of magnificent things. I think of the nicest restaurant. I think of the sweetest ride. I think of glorious things in the way that I've defined glorious. Verse 8, 19. Moses asks to see the glory of God. And God says, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. He asked to see... And God says, I'm going to let you hear. I will proclaim the name the Lord before you. Proclaim. I'll say it, you'll hear it. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God connects the existence of Israel and anyone who travels as part of Israel to this. He says, I'm going to show favor to those who deserve the opposite of favor. When we forget that, when we forget that being someone in relationship with God means that He has shown favor to someone who deserves the opposite. What we are in a sense saying is that our goodness is good enough. And that is in contrast to the entirety of the teachings of the Scripture. Moses has made his big ask and God has given him his great answer. You want to see me? You get to hear me. I'll proclaim. I'll say a word to you. So we get to chapter 34, there's a new start, brand new start, fresh start. We all know we like a fresh start. New tablets are cut. Verse 2, verse two of chapter, rather verse, verse 1 of chapter 34. The Lord said to Moses, cut down two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Reminding Moses, you threw the tablets down, you big dummy. Be prepared by morning, come up to Mount Sinai in the morning and stand before me on the mountaintop. You meet me there. Now, no one may go up with you. In fact, no one should be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds are not to graze in front of the mountain. Moses, you're going to experience my full-on goodness and it's going to be glorious. But don't miss the fact that this glory and goodness, they are not words that we can separate from one another. Moses cut the tablets like the first ones. He got up early in the morning and taking the two stone tablets in his hand, he climbed Mount Sinai just as the Lord had commanded him. The Lord came down in a cloud and he stood with him there and he proclaimed his name, the Lord. This is who I am. Yet again, I want to see your glory. Moses just gets to hear it. Here, I'm the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord is compassionate and he is gracious. God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. And we begin to see breakdowns as to who this God is and how this God demonstrates His goodness. And how when He demonstrates His goodness, He's demonstrating His glory. He's good because He's merciful. Because He, he relents from giving deserved punishment to people who have wronged Him. He's good because He's gracious. He gives more than we expect to receive. 
He's good because he's slow to anger and patient with his covenant people. He's good because he's abounding in faithful love. This word hesed that we see in the entirety of the Old Testament. He's good because this love is displayed to thousands of generations and his punishment is only to the third and fourth generations. He's good because God says this about himself 25 times in the Old Testament. He's good because God has said, I am all of these things and I want you to know me, Moses, and you'll know me by hearing me and we as the people of God sit and we hold God's word whether it's in a book format like this or it's in a phone that distracts us in every given way that it possibly can God says to Moses if you want to see me I want you to hear me and God has offered us a chance to interact with him in his word speaking to us Speaking perfectly to our imperfect condition. Speaking wholeness to our broken condition. Speaking purity to our sinful condition. Speaking speaking hope to our despair-filled condition. God speaking to His people. But it doesn't stop there because you've got this whole tabernacle idea the Bible's been building toward. You get this very notion as to why God is the way that He is and who God would display Himself to be. You get the idea of the unseen God here in this passage just giving Moses a glimpse of Himself as He passes by, letting Him know, you're just going to see me from a distance, Moses. You're not even going to get a really good view of me. You'll just get to see the, the glow as it goes by you. But we see John, in John chapter 1, talking to us about this very glory of God and the goodness of God, these interchangeable words by Yahweh himself. And we see in John chapter 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Again, the idea of who God is, not so much being seen, but being heard, and how those things interact together. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. Every single thing that has been made was made by Him. In Him was life, and that life shines in And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We see this story of this Jesus that we are very familiar with. The Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. The unseen God being seen. That's why we get to verse 14. And we see this very idea of the tabernacle. The inner place where God would offer to meet with his people. And at this, ta- this passage it says this. What was actually happening there was pointing. In Exodus chapter 33 was pointing to what we see here in the incarnation of Christ. The flesh... And dwelt among us. The unseen God allowed himself to be seen. And all of these attributes as to who God is. And and as he displays his goodness. And what were his attributes beyond that? Because God was good before he was crucified. God was good before the resurrection. But in these things he allows us to be partakers and participants in the very goodness of God. 
where it says this to us, the Word becomes flesh and tabernacles among us. We now visually have observed His glory. The glory as the one and only Son from the Father who is full of grace and truth. Verse 16, Indeed, we have all all received grace upon grace from His fullness. Verse 17, For the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, who is Himself God and is at the Father's side, He has revealed Him. My buddy Coop is interesting because he won't let me near him. He snarls and growls at me. And I consider myself relatively friendly. Except when I'm not eating. But he likes everybody else at our house. He, he loves Noli. He loves Alder. He's never drug Alder around by his drawers. He loves Hope. He, she plays with him. She checks on him. But the boys, they... They've got a different relationship. Like, Charlie loves him, cares for him, provides for him. And, and Charlie and Shep, because Coop can't come in because he and I have such an awkward relationship. But he's got to stay in the house, so we had to figure out a way for him to stay in the house. So they got the tent that was on our shelving, shelving outside. And they opened this tent in my garage. And my boys took cots. And, and they took cots and they, they put those in the tent for, not the dog, for themselves. And they put their sleeping bag and their cushion. And, you're, and you're, if you're asking, did you make your kids go sleep in the garage? The answer is no, but yes. And they have their pillows out there. They have fans out there. They have books to read out there. They are in a place where this dog who won't come anywhere near the person who is in this house, he won't come anywhere near me, they are there meeting with him regularly, caring for him, loving him, providing for him, walking him, doing their very best to show this dog who has a very poor view of what it means to be cared for by someone what love actually looks like meeting there this person of Jesus who we meet in scriptures says to a world that has a really hard time understanding why we as a church would ever say loudly that we believe God is good this is what God really looks like this is God's full compassion this is God's sacrificial mercy This is God's faithfulness to you. This is God's abundant provision. This is God's care on top of God's care on top of God's care. That's who this Jesus is. So that when we as a church would say that we believe that all the time God is good, God is good all the time, we know that. As something that we've heard because the scriptures teach us that. And as something that we know because Jesus has revealed himself to us. The hope 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected meeting with us where we need to be met. If that's not the message of the good gospel of Jesus that you know, then you have a short-sighted view of it. You are missing who this God is and how this God shows himself. You're missing the love and the mercy of God. Maybe there's a possibility for you, even as a church-going regular who is part of Christian culture, because Christian culture is pretty popular and prevalent where we are. Maybe you have grown disdained with this God, disappointed by him. And Jesus, who has revealed him to you fully, says he's, he's never going to stop offering to be good. He's good and good and good. And there is punishment for wickedness. And we understand everything that is there in the scriptures. But this God does not stop being good. What if we met with him? Here's what I want to do for us this morning. I want to pray over us. And we're going to sing together about our God. And about this God who loves and cares for us. If you've never met Jesus, Jesus offers to tabernacle. He, he said, I'm tabernacling in your midst so you can know me. I've become like you so you can know me. I've taken your sins so you can know me. I've offered you hope so you can know me. I'm meeting you in the midst of it. We're told that he was tempted and tried in every way that we are, that he, he, but was without sin. And he wants to meet you where you are. So I want to pray for us this morning. The band's going to come and play. And if you need me, I'm in the back right-hand corner of the room. Father, we do believe that your word is good and that it's true. Lord, we also know that I fail you, and that, that we fail you, that we miss being good displays of your goodness. We know that even in a room like this, there are some who've been hurt by the church, who've been hurt by poor representations of you, by poor reflections. I pray that you would move us. Lord, I pray that you would realize you've equipped us to be real displays of your hope, pointing to the genuine goodness of God revealed to us in Jesus. So Lord, as we spend these next few weeks talking about your goodness, your faithfulness, your provision, your care, God, I pray that these attributes of you are things that we cling to and that we know. That we rest in and that we run forward because of. Running the race that you laid out for us. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for all you do. We ask all this in your powerful name, Christ.